Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are considering men and women of the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we continue to discuss the life of David, the innocent fugitive. This is the second message regarding David, a man after God's own heart. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, well, as we continue looking at David, the life of David, as we remember last week after his battle with Goliath and Saul's becoming more and more jealous, we're going to see that a lot in, in our uh, consideration today, along with Jonathan, Jonathan's devotion to David. And we need to keep that in the back of our minds as we continue, in particular next week, God willing, we'll, we'll see um, kind of how that, that relationship um, ends. Uh, it's a very tragic way, um, but we'll consider that God willing in the week to come. So again, what we considered last week really was David as, pro- as a shepherd going into the kingdom. Saul's the first technical king, but he's, as I said, um, the judgment for against the people. They wanted a king just like all the other nations, and we need to keep that in the back of our minds as well, uh, because once we do see David serving as king, again, he's not perfect, but we will see and we will consider the complete differences as it relates to David and Saul and these other kings, okay? With that somewhat of a preface, we are going to jump into the narrative. Going forward, we're going to kind of just jump right in. You know, as we continue uh, considering David, we're just going to kind of jump in and, and, and try to get through these um, somewhat briefly, uh, but again, kind of uh, accentuating on the most important elements of the story. So last week, as we discussed, it ended with Saul trying to kill David, tried to pin him to the wall, and he even call, uh, commanded his servants to go and seek after David, you know, uh, in his bed, in his household with his wife, Michal, which, which is uh, Saul's daughter. And that really goes into chapter 19. So what I want us to consider first is Jonathan knows that Saul wants to kill David at first. And so he goes to David and tells him and warns him and says, you know, go hide out for a time so I can talk to my father. So Jonathan, his son, and uh, now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, my father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on guard and so forth. Thus, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause. Remember, as we considered uh, Goliath and David, and David was kind of confronted by his eldest son, Eli- uh, his eldest brother Eliab, he says, is there not a cause? So there, and remember, we even made the point that sometimes there are causes worth fighting for. Saul is making up causes, as we'll see going forward. Right now, though, Jonathan is compelling his father. You know what happened. God completely saved us, delivered us out of the hand of the Philistine by your servant David. Okay, and you remember this and you rejoiced yourself, Dad. You know, how can you possibly do this and commit this great sin without cause? And Saul, Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore. Let's remember this. He swore by the name of the Lord. Uh, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as in times past. So in other words, playing the music to soothe Saul. So he was placed right back to where where he was. We'll see that that Saul continues to send him out to fight the Philistines. And then all of a sudden Saul's jealousy is aroused again. Okay, because he sees that the Lord is working through David. Remember last week we considered that Saul continued to put David in seemingly precarious situations where men typically would be defeated and killed. David, since he's the Lord's anointed, 
God continues to deliver him out of the hands of these Philistines over and over and over again. And he will continue and he does deliver him out of the hand of Saul himself. Okay, again, going forward, we'll need to remember that. And this is where Saul commands his servants to go and kill David, to go get him out of his bed. And that's where McCall put that idol in the bed, put goat hair on it to, to make it seem like David was in the bed. And she said he was sick. Okay, he was sick. So the servants went back to Saul, and Saul said, well, go and get him and bring the whole bed with you. We need to kill David. I want you to bring him here so I can kill him. And they, they went up there, and all of a sudden, he's not there. And so Saul confronts Michal and says, how, did you, how could you possibly deceive me like this? You know, this is his daughter. How could you possibly deceive me like this? And she says, well, he threatened to kill me, basically. Let's remember that. Jonathan, as much as can be accused of Jonathan for not honoring his father and technically betraying his father. He does that out of the goodness of God, okay? Because again, when you, even if your father commands you to do that which the Lord forbids or forbids you to do that which the Lord commands, you must obey God rather than men. So again, even if it's your father. So that's why he does these things. But we will also see Jonathan is honest with his father, whereas McCall completely lies to him. And we'll, we'll see going forward the character of McCall somewhat. She's the one who gets all upset when he comes back and is rejoicing with the linen, you know, the epid and all the rest. And he kind of exposes himself while he's dancing. She's the one who gets all upset. And then she never has a child. Um, but we'll see that going ahead. So going forward, um, so David ends up fleeing to uh, Ramoth, where uh, Samuel is, okay? And then Saul sends a bunch of servants out there, and God gives them the Spirit of God, and so they're able to prophesy, okay? And then, you know, word gets back to Saul, he sends another group. Same thing happens. They come back, sends another group. Same thing happens. So Saul's... Saul gets frustrated. He's like, okay, I'm going to go take care of this myself. He goes down and remember, he was able to prophesy as well. So the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied. And then he got all naked. He got all naked and was prophesying. So Saul was not a faithful king and he wasn't a faithful prophet. Okay. So everything that the Lord had anointed him to be or had graciously gifted him to be, he continues to falter. He continues to fail. It specifies that he's the only one who did this, and that's a completely complete disgrace, as we will consider somewhat moving ahead as we consider prophets. However, so that's what happens, okay? So going into chapter 20, David fled, okay? And then he sought out Jonathan and asked him, why is your why is your father seeking to kill me? Jonathan doesn't know. Jonathan, apparently, none of this is happening at, According to his knowledge, you know, David, uh, Saul's continually trying to kill him, sending his servants out, and he doesn't know about it. So David comes and he's like, why is your father seeking to kill me? And remember, Saul had promised, had sworn by God that he, definitely he's not going to kill David. So Jonathan's like, what are you talking about? You know, no, my father's not out to kill you. He would have told me so. I am his advisor, you know, basically nothing. My, dad, my father does nothing apart from telling me. Okay, and David basically says, that's not true, all right? That's definitely not so. Let's, they, and then they, they make a pact. And David even compels him, you know, if, if I've done anything wrong, kill me yourself. You know, instead of, you know, your father continually seeking to, to kill me, if I've actually done evil in God's sight, kill me yourself. And Jonathan says, far be it from you. Let's, let's do this. Let's make a plan. All right. And, and so very briefly, you can read the account yourself. You have read the account yourself with the servant shooting the arrows and so forth. But basically, Jonathan says, go hide out. OK, this is this is the feast day, which takes about three days. OK, you go hide out. All right. And, and if and David says, OK, inquire of your inquire your father about me. And if he's fine, if he's fine with me not being there, then, you know, he's not seeking my life. But if he gets angry then you know he's determined to kill me. So that's the deal. And that's, that's characteristic of mankind. Okay, when, when we're jealous and full of rage, we get angry. You know, if, if Saul had no ill intent, 
he would have been fine that David was gone and gone back home for a sacrifice. That's what they, they plan on telling Saul. So Jonathan's at the table. The first day, Jonathan's at the table, and David's not there. Saul just assumes David must be ceremoniously, ceremonially unclean. Okay, so that's not why he's here. Next day comes, and David's still not there. And he asks Jonathan, where's David? Where's David, the son of Jesse? And Jonathan says, well, you know, he, he begged me, you know, he asked, you know, if I found favor in your sight, please let me go. My brother has asked me to come for this sacrifice. So this suggests that Jesse is dead. Jesse, his father, has passed because uh, we will see his household uh, meets back up with David when David's out in hiding. However, right now it seems like Jesse has passed. So Eliab, or one of his elder brothers, it was most likely Eliab, that's what Jonathan is saying, that he's called him over there. That's, that's, that's a lie. Now again, though, as we've considered in other narratives, it is a lie, and it's absolute deception. However, this is for, uh, this is for the peace of God. This is, we, we have to re remember, you know, there, there are some who think that there's, no, there's never a good reason to lie. And we've considered... You know, if, if somebody or if an, an assailant came into our house and asked, you know, where's your wife? And, I, and we knew that they were determined to kill her, we would absolutely lie and put our lives on the line, in fact. And, but that's what, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're coming up with this lie in order to determine where Saul is in regards to David's life, ultimately. And so that's what happens. And, and so he tells Saul... You know, he went to uh, Bethlehem to go for this uh, sacrifice. And Saul becomes irate. And he says, I know. Okay, let's. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I hope we can kind of translate that into our modern vernacular. This isn't very kind at all. And to be honest with you, I, th I think what this implies is that she was a wonderful, godly mother. Saul continually seemingly gets jealous of anybody who's indwelt by the Spirit of God. And I, I think his, his, uh, Jonathan's mother's no less. I think Jonathan's a very faithful man, as we will see and as we have kind of seen. And he's doing this for David, really putting himself on the line too. In fact, so, uh, so you're the son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have cho chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Nor your kingdom. Saul has been rejected as king. Saul knows that. But he refuses to accept it as we will see continually going, moving forward. So he's basically admonishing his son, saying, as long as this son of Jesse lives, you will never be established. Your kingdom isn't coming so long as David lives. Jonathan knows that, again, as we will, as we will see going forward. And Jonathan answered Saul, his fa father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. Saul is trying to kill his own son. Notice the heart of a wicked man. Notice the jealousy has no bounds. The anger, the, the perturbation of this evil man and of his heart is so hard, is so dark, is so cold, that he even releases, re extends that to his own son. He's a blind man. He's a blind man. He was gifted with the Spirit of God, and now he's has this distressing spirit blinding him so he's in the darkness as we've considered being in god and having fellowship with god brings us to his light saul is in prison in darkness he's shackled in darkness he can't see the light so he tries to kill his own son and jonathan gets very angry and he leaves the the table and so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David. He wasn't angry that his dad just tried to kill him. He's grieving for David. The Lord likely saved his life alive from the hand of his father, but he's grieving for David. He's not even grieving that his father tried to kill him, that his father has lost his way and he's lost the spirit of God. He is not anointed anymore, which Jonathan knows. He's not lamenting that. He's not grieved over that at all anymore. He's grieved 
on the cause at the cause of David. Jonathan is a wonderful friend, a wonderful companion. And again, as we consider going forward, I think he embodies, he and David's mutual friendship, I think embodies one in which a man is, is, is blessed to have and a woman is blessed to have. They're kin, they're, they're like brothers, okay? So, as soon as, so remember, they had, they had made this deal where he shoots an arrow, you know, it tells his servant, you know, go, go get it. And then ultimately tells the lad, uh, well, as soon as he tells the lad to go ahead and go back, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, because right now David already knows, because of the arrow, because of the sign, he knows that Saul is trying to kill him, and, that David, and Jonathan knows as well. This pierces David's heart. Again, he, see, he saw Saul as something of a father figure. He knows he's, David knows he's anointed king, but Saul is still technically the Lord's anointed. He's still king, and he really saw him as something of a father. So this grieves his heart. And he comes to Jonathan bowing three times to the earth, really in anguish and in thanksgiving. You're ultimately putting your life on the line now, definitely your kingdom. Thank you, David. This is amazing. I can't trust anybody. You know, so all of Saul's servants are, have been commanded to kill me. I'm running around trying to escape from the sword all, all over the place. And you, his son? His son is saving me? His son is helping me? Thank you, Jonathan. So he bowed to the ground three times, and they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. David's more grieved, okay? This hurts him. Yes, we saw that Jonathan's grieved on account of David, but David is grieved on account of Jonathan, on account of Saul, on account of his irreparable relationship now with Saul. He knows that Saul will never love him again. He will never be welcomed to the palace again, as long as Saul is king, and he knows that. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Let's remember that as well, and we'll, cons- reconsider, we'll consider really their last meeting, God willing, shortly. Uh, but this, this is part of the covenant that they make, to, they make together. They have the Lord judge between them, and basically, this is our promise. You know, I'm devoted to your descendants forever, not just to you, David, not just to you, Jonathan, but to your family, to your household forever, without end. Let's remember that. I mean, there will, there, some time will pass before we get to the fulfillment of that. It's a wonderful fulfillment. Uh, uh, Jonathan's son is is lame and he takes him in, uh, but we'll get to that, God willing, in weeks to come. Okay, so he tells him, go in peace. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll watch out for you. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Okay, so David's fleeing and he comes to this priest. Okay, Ahimelech is actually from the line of Eli. And remember, God had said, your whole household is going to be destroyed. I'm judging your whole household. So this is one of them, okay? So he comes to this priest, and he's alone. So the priest is afraid. He's like, what is this about? David's never alone. He always has, you know, Saul's military with him, that kind of a thing. And so why are you alone? And David tells him, well, Saul sent me out on this mission. It's a secret mission, so you can't know about it. But I had to flee in haste, and so I, I don't have any provisions. I don't have any food. Please, do you have any food here? And Ahimelech says, yes, but it's only the, the bread from the, the, the show bread, from the table of presents. Okay, so there would be 12 loaves of bread at a time, and you would trade them out for fresh bread on occasion. But this is right into the tabernacle. You have that, and you have the lampstand. So table of uh, presence is over here. The, uh, the lamp is over here. Then the altar of incense is right before you, just before you get into the Holy of Holies. So the showbread, though, is only for the priests. It's only for the priests. Now, once, once the time of consecration is over, in other words, once they replace them with the other bread, they can give them to commoners for dire needs such as this. Okay, and so that's what that's kind of what David is saying. You know, that that's fantastic. Please give me five loaves. It appears that he's alone right now, but we'll see what Christ. Well, we'll consider 
something of what Christ said. So he's, he's also lying to this priest, and we'll have to kind of keep that in the back of that, our mind. We'll get to the point of that very shortly. So that's what he says, okay? I, I am, I, you know, Saul sent me out hastily. I don't have any bread. I don't have any food. Please, could you hook me up? I'm kind of hungry. And he gives him five loaves. That's more, that's necessary for more than just one man. Again, you know, they don't have preservatives in there. You know, this bread goes bad pretty quickly. Okay. So, so he must have had other men. And, and again, we'll consider that. However, so he's lying to this, to this priest. And then he asks him, do you have any weapons here? Do you have any weapons here whatsoever? I mean, he's asking the priest this, but remember, that's why we made the point that after, after he had defeated Goliath, he consecrated his, his armor and his sword to the Lord. So the sword of Goliath was in, here, it was in there. And the priest says, the, nothing's here except the sword of Goliath. And if you want it, go ahead and take it. And David says, give it to me. There's none other like it. There, you know, that's, that's the one. Which is kind of awesome, all right? <laughs> okay, and we'll consider a little bit of that too, going, you know, here shortly. So that's what happens, okay? The, the priest, unbeknownst to him, you know, David is something of an innocent fugitive at this time. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he's on the run. And as far as the priest is concerned, this makes all the sense in the world. David's a very faithful servant to Saul. He's been, you know, destroying these Philistines, defending Israel time after time after time. Okay, he, Saul must have sent him on a secret mission, so I wouldn't know about it. And he, he left so quickly, he had no weapons, he had no food. Okay, that's fine. Here's some food, here's a sword. All right, now, now just so you know, Christ alludes back to this when the Pharisees are getting all upset that his disciples are picking grain uh, to eat on the Sabbath. They see that as work. And then David alludes to this. Wasn't, did not David and his men receive the bread of the presence when he was starving? In other words, in need. Again, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Christ makes that, makes that abundantly clear too. And that's what he's continually trying to tell these Pharisees. The, the disciples, these men were in need. Okay, so they did get that which would nourish them. You know, and there's more to that. However, so Christ does allude back to this, even saying that David had other men with him. Okay, and we will see that he starts off with about 400 men. And again, these aren't the, these passages aren't always chronological. So I believe that he already has these men now. Okay, so C and about 400 men. If that, we'll see that he does have 400 men. But right now, maybe he he just has a, a few. Who, who knows? It's, again, it's not in the narrative, but Christ himself said that he had other men, so he had other men. Okay, so, and then, so he gets the sword, and then he flees to Gath. That's the hometown of Goliath. He goes to Philistia, okay? And the king there, Achish, finds out about it, and all his men are like, hey, isn't this the king of Israel? Isn't this the one they're all singing about? You know, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. You know, what do you, you're going to let this guy hang out here? And so he basically commands them to send him, to bring him there to himself. And David pretends as though he's crazy. He's drooling all over his beard, and he's acting insane. However, let's consider David showing up in Gath with Goliath's sword. That's just kind of cool. That's, that's, I mean, come on, that's hardcore. That's really cool. <laughs> I mean, David, David's brave. David's brave, but he knows, you know, th this isn't the time, basically. This isn't my time, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feign madness. Now, this starts... Again, even with Ahimelech, this begins somewhat of a descent of David. Again, David was not perfect. We will see the repercussions for this poor priest and for many other priests on account really because of David, because David lied. Okay, But right now, he's not, count he's not relying on the Lord either, feigning madness. Okay, He's trusted God this whole time. And now all of a sudden he's a fugitive and he thinks he's got to make up his own way in order to survive. And we will see how that kind of continues to escalate until 
a wonderful woman, Abigail, kind of wakes him up to that. That's, God willing, we'll get to there uh, today, but I doubt it. All right, so going into chapter 22. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now, let's also consider, remember, the three eldest brothers served Saul. They, they, they were under Saul. They followed Saul. That's what the narrative said. Now, they're going to David. We must understand that Saul was pursuing them as well. All the sons of Jesse. He's, he, all, he starts just calling David the son of Jesse. He's not calling him David anymore. He's calling him the son of Jesse. So he's going to go after all the sons of Jesse. Because ultimately, if he can even capture one and imprison them, then David's more likely to come to, save, to try to save them or give himself over for them. So now they are knit to David by circumstance, if anything else. But, you know, God willing, their hearts have turned to, they notice what David's doing and, and the Lord's anointing must be on him. So they go and find him in hiding his brothers, the same brothers that were the same brothers that were castigating him and assuming the worst of him are now coming to help him. They're coming to his aid and possibly to hide out with him. We don't know. But right now it just says they, they heard it. So they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. That's very much like Christ. He did not call the Pharisees to himself, the, the learned wise men of the day at that time. He called fishermen. He called simple men, discontented men, foolish men, somewhat, you know, base fellows that, that only carried the gospel by the Spirit of God. Peter... The, his first sermon, he, he's just a fisherman. He's just a fisherman. He didn't go to the Pharisaic academy like Saul did. Saul he called afterward while he was persecuting the church. But Peter, John, James, Andrew, <laughs> Philip, Nathaniel, all of them, except for Matthew, Levi, Matthew was at least a tax collector, so he might have known something about something. <laughs> but they were just a bunch of simple, simple men. David now has 400 men. We'll also see that it actually is about 600. Now, remember when Saul had 300,000 men and 30,000 of the tribe of Judah, and because of his sin, it dropped down to 600, right? Now, David starts with a very, you know, curious band of about 600 men. Okay, these are all discontented fellows, um, very base and simple fellows. Again, that's just remember the reflection we're trying to trying to emphasize between he and and Christ. Um, okay. Then David went up went from there to Mitzpah of, of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, "Please let my father and mother come here with you, till I know what God will do for me." Now remember, Moab was where Ruth was from, so he probably has some family ties there. Again, I assume you got to read within the narrative. Okay, but he has, he, he must have some ties there. So right now, Moab is an ally. Okay, and, and that's not always the case. That will not always be the case. But Moab is an ally right there, right now. So he's asking permission. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So as long as David's hiding out, uh, that's where, that's where they're, they're staying. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So Gad is one of David's prophets. We, we've considered Nathan. Gad is another very faithful one, very wonderful one. In, in, in the Bible, it also says that Gad apparently had a book of himself for himself. Not, you know, for himself, but one that he had written, just like we have the book of Isaiah, you know, the book of Jeremiah, book of Ezekiel, and so forth. He apparently had one that we don't have, that we don't have. But he's a wonderful prophet. He's a great prophet. And again, so David essentially ends up with two prophets, but right now it's Gad. Now, this, he probably comes from the guild of the prophets who, who were under Samuel. Remember that group of prophets that he said, he told Saul that, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you're going to join these prophets. That was most likely a guild, something of a school of prophets. And so Gad most likely came from that, okay? So, again, no, he's a very faithful prophet. So, what happens is Saul heard about Ahimelech, you know, giving the bread and the sword to David. 
and his anger is greatly aroused. Now, when David was there with Ahimelech, this man named Doeg, which is an Edomite, so Edom comes from Esau. Okay, remember Jacob's brother? And remember, God had even prophesied, two nations are in your womb, and the, the elder will serve the younger. However, there will always be enmity. There's going to be enmity between these nations. And that's what happens. Now, Doeg is the chief herdsman for Saul, which is, again, just indicative of Saul's descent from God. He's putting a foreigner and really ultimately an enemy in charge of all the livestock. Okay. However, so Doeg was there. All right. And now, now Saul's greatly angry at Ahimelech. And so he calls he and he calls all of his household, okay, to come out to confront him, okay? And he's also uh, accusing the men that, that, that they're deceiving him. Anyway, all of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. How pathetic. How pathetic. He knows he's not anointed. And as we'll see, he already knows David is. And now he's just complaining to his men. You know, you're all against me. You're all against me. The, the jealous man typically became, gets very, it comes up with a lot of paranoia, you know, and that's where Saul is. He thinks the worst of everybody because he himself is wicked. So, then, then, ans so, all of you have not went right uh, to lie in wait as it is said. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and, he, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, here, am I, here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, in, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he, should rise, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Ahimelech did nothing of the sort. He did not inquire of God, and he did not uh, tell him that he should rise up against Saul. None of that is true. Saul's making this stuff up, or Doeg's telling him a bunch of nonsense, a bunch of lies that did not happen. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, <laughs> uh, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to a servant or to any in the house of house of my father for your servant knew nothing of all this little or much i didn't know anything i didn't know a little i didn't know a lot i didn't know anything about this you know how can you how can you accuse me of this when nobody knows about this except you david's your most faithful servant he's your son-in-law how could i have possibly guessed that he's a fugitive on the run how could I have possibly even want, but did I inquire of the Lord? No, I didn't do that. But don't, don't accuse me of anything. I didn't know anything about this, little or much. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your fa father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. Again, that's not true. Saul's just refusing to believe it. He's going to strike down anybody who he thinks is conspiring against him, even when they're not. So he's ordering his servants to kill all of these priests, all of the clergy, as it were. However, but the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Praise be to God. It is, it is, as far as Saul has descended, his servants have not. Okay, his servants have not. However, the king said to Do Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Remember, God had commanded the people to do that into places he was judging. Doeg does it. 
because Saul commands this. This is not coming from the Lord. This is antithetical, completely antithetical to anything the Lord is interested in. He did promise Eli that his household will be destroyed, but he didn't command anything like this. This is evil. This is absolute wickedness. This Edomite not only is the chief herdsman, but he's now basically Saul's faithful assailant. And he kills all of these priests, 85, and then he goes to the city of priests and kills all them, all their, all their wives, and all their children. This is a tragic, tragic moment. Very tragic. Now, let's also remember what caused this. It's caused by David's lie, which he will admit. He, he understands that. But let's not, let's not be shy about recognizing these things, okay? As I've said, David is a wonderful hero. He's a wonderful example. None of us are perfect. He was not either. Okay. So, now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. Now, again, as, as we mentioned last time, David is, David, isn't, David is fairly slow to see the sin in other men, and he sees it very clearly in himself. Right now, he doesn't need Gad to tell him. He doesn't need Nathan to tell him. He knows that it's because of him. It's because of his life. Absolutely. Ultimately, it's because of Saul. It's because of Saul. Okay, let's also be clear about that. But David is taking his part. You know, he's admitting his part in this. It was because of my deception. I should have just been honest with the priest. You know, and, and God wills what he will. Okay, but honesty... You know, we, we, I think he got used to the deception just because, you know, they had deceived Saul. Jonathan, he had come up with his great plan. So I think he just starts to continue until the, all these priests are killed. And he recognizes, okay, I can't, I can't rule like this. I, I can't even flee like this. I can't be a fugitive like this. Otherwise, many will fall in my path. Okay, so he admits and he, and he brings Abiathar to himself and and he'll be a faithful priest for him for for his whole life however he so um, he he joins him in that and and david's even saying he who seeks your life also seeks mine but with me you will be saved david already knows david now realizes i must trust god not my only my not my own deceptions not the things i think are are wise and and for my good and for my men's good i must do the good will of my of my god Okay, so now he realizes, okay, stay with me, you will be safe. I know for sure, you know, God will preserve us now. But now I need to start acting more faithfully. So, all of a sudden, the Philistines are going to attack this place non, uh, called uh, Keilah. Uh, and so, what, ha- what happens is, he inquires of the Lord whether or not he should go and attack. Because, again, he's putting himself in danger if he does, but he cares about the people. That's all he cares about. Now God says, go. And he, and he goes and he delivers them. He saves them all. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful deliverance. And then and Saul finds out about it. And he's like, oh, good. God has delivered him into my hand. Again, Saul continues to think that he is the king and he should be the king. And now he's thinking, even though he's been rejected as king, that, oh, great. God has t- put him, delivered him into my hand. Now he's stuck. Now he's stuck. So he pursues him. And then uh, David inquires of the Lord and asks him if this place, Kalilah, it's very hard to pronounce, but Kalilah, will they hand me over to Saul? And he says, yes. Yes, they will. So flee. He just delivered them. He just saved this place. And he inquires of God. And sure enough, they would have handed him over. They would have handed him over to Saul. In gratitude for salvation and deliverance is just as much of a sin as pursuing the Savior and trying to kill him and trying to conspire against him and so forth. This is, this is a terrible faithlessness of this place. 
Okay, so Saul still goes, and you know he would have delivered him, but he didn't. He had already left, and so he's he's in the strongholds in the wilderness. So and David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand, as Saul had supposed. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, then Jonathan, Saul's son, and arose went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. This is their last meeting. Okay, just so we know this is their last meeting. This is the last time they're going to meet. And Jonathan is saying, I know you're going to be king. My father knows you're going to be king. But as soon as you become king, I'm going to serve at your side. Recognize the humility and the faith of Jonathan. Not only is he committed to David, he's committed to God. This is not betraying Saul. He's saying, even, he, he's even saying, Saul knows this. He doesn't like it, but even my father knows this. And as soon as you become king, I will serve at your side. Wonderful, wonderful, amazing companion again he's putting his life out on the line for him but ultimately he's knitting himself to him he's saying i will never leave your side i don't care what happens but i know ultimately you will be king and i will be there right at your side continually so this that's their last meeting again they they promise to each other that um, they will be committed to each other and to their households. It's the last meeting between them, but again, let's just continue to remember that. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, it was told to him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to see, went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Just so you know, this was a continual thing. He kept on chasing him. He was running around, around, around the mountain, and Saul almost got to him. And then all of a sudden, he heard that the Philistines had attacked this other place, so he had to leave. God delivered. Uh, David out of his hand, saved David by, by this other fight. So he had to go. So as soon as he returned from fo following the Philistines, that was told to him, he's in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek uh, men, David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. He went to go to the bathroom. All right? Uh, David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they're right nearby and Saul has no idea. Okay. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. The Lord never told him that. He told him that, you know, the Philistines, definitely, they're going to be delivered into your hand all the time. He never said that about Saul. These men are assuming too much. They are companions, they are faithful to David, but they're assuming that now God has delivered Saul into his hand. Here he is, here he is, tending to his needs. This is a great time, David. Let's strike him dead, and then you'll be king. Let's do this. This is what happens. This is the coup d'etat. This is the rebellion. Let's do it. And here he is. The Lord has brought him right here. Let's strike him dead. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So he went, and instead of killing him, he cut off a piece of his rope, and we'll see why. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained himself and his servants with these words, David will not be king until God makes him king. He will not kill the Lord's anointed. He will not lift his hand up against the Lord's anointed. Let's remember that as we go into 2 Samuel as well. Okay, so David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. So Saul left and David arose and afterward went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Saul's still the king. 
And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against, the, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. No one see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my so wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? David's saying, I'm nothing. Why are you pursuing me? I, I, I mean no evil against you. There's neither rebellion. I do not seek your life. And I'm nothing compared to you. You're the king. You're the king over all of Israel. Why are you chasing out a dead dog? All these Philistines are attacking everywhere. Why are you focused on nobody? You know, I was just a shepherd. You know, you're the one who called me. <laughs> you know, I haven't done, you know, I'm just a simple man. Why are you using all of your resources and all of your, all of your soul all of your intentions, all of your interests in pursuing me, a dead dog, a flea. Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? David struck. I mean, Saul struck. Okay. This is one of his little brief little times of contrition and repentance. Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me, well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. This is what would typically happen. Okay, if, if a king is, is usurped by another king, that other king is going to kill all of the heirs, all of the heirs apparent. I mean, logistically, that just makes sense. Otherwise, you're just opening yourself up to continual rebellion, continual coups. Okay? But David has already, has already promised Jonathan, and now Saul is compelling him to do the same thing. Please, don't, don't do what typical kings would do. Don't do what I'm doing. You be, I know the Lord has established you. I know the Lord has anointed you. I know you're going to be king. And I know you're not going to be like the kings of all the other nations. So please, don't act like the kings of all the other nations. Spare my household and swear to me, that you will. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now, we'll, we'll stop there for now. Um, the next, and, and what we're going to try to do next week is actual, actually conclude uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Um, what comes next is this wonderful woman, Abigail, who really wakes David up. Uh, to his to some of his own tendencies again he's not perfect but he seeks to avenge himself and she spares him god continues to put these people in david's way to save him from himself david is god's anointed and so thus god will continually be faithful to david even when david sins that great sin with Bathsheba that we've considered. David is uh, punished for that, but ultimately God remains faithful with him. Okay. Now, as we go into this next week regarding David, again, he will not yet be established until most likely, God willing, the, the following week, right? When, right on Christmas Eve, we'll consider David becoming king. Okay. I do want y'all to read the rest of 1 Samuel uh, this week, and so 
You can have familiarity as to what happens during this whole time. Uh, again, though, this is before David is established as king. He's anointed, and he goes through m much turmoil, m much strife, yet he remains faithful. He's saved many times, just like Abiathar kind of convinced him, hey, that wasn't cool, that was wrong, you lied, and now my whole family has been killed. And David recognized that, and he repents even to that man, even though it wasn't he who killed them all. Okay, And I know David had to have been grieved by that, not only his guilt, but many priests, many of the clergy, have been killed. It's a, it's a terrible time of grief, and we will see right in the beginning, in chapter 25, Samuel himself dies. David starts to lose any of his mentors, any of the men who have led him to this point. So very shortly, David's kind of alone. David's kind of alone. He, he won't see Jonathan again. He, he's got a band of men, um, but they're always compelling him to kill Saul. He'll actually have another opportunity to kill Saul because Saul will continue to try to kill David even after he has this somewhat repentance. The heart of Saul is desperately wicked. It's dark, and he's, and he's determined to kill David. And so David will have another opportunity to strike him down, and he doesn't. Again, he doesn't. So moving forward, again, the next week, God willing, we will consider what David goes through before he is established king. But again, what, what, what we need to recognize is the progression is the progression and some of David's faults before he becomes king. And then again, he will still have faults there. But it, what we really want to see is the faithfulness of God through his journey. Okay, he, he, He's given chance after chance after chance to do that which is wrong. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. Many times he does not. Sometimes he's spared from doing great evil in the sight of the Lord because of one of God's faithful men or woman. Specifically, it's a woman coming up. So, God willing, we'll get to that next week and uh, continue our lovely stu uh, study of David. But again, I, I hope as we, as we consider David, you know, we can see some of the similarities between he and Christ. Again, you know, right now, a bunch of base, simple men follow him, okay, before he becomes, before he becomes king, before he's established king, just like Christ's ministry, he was always, he's eternally king of kings and lord of lords, but he came to serve, remember, so before he ascended to his coronation, he had simple, base men, remember, even what Paul says, he, God uses the simple and the fools to confound the wise, the supposed wise of this age. And he uses the, the wisdom of this world to, be, to become foolishness. And that's what he's doing. You know, Saul is this, is this man that many people will assume is this very powerful man. He's very tall, he's very huge, he's handsome. You know, so people just assume the best of him by the outward appearance, whereas God looks at the heart, remember. And again, with all of David's faults, he is still a man after God's own heart. And I pray that we are all men and women after God's own heart. That is our calling. That is our purpose. Yes, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But ultimately, our purpose is to seek and glorify, and but ultimately attach ourselves, commit ourselves to the heart of God, not our own. We follow the heart of Christ. We follow our Lord. We follow our Savior all the days of our life. World without end. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.